Welcome to Coffee Is Got Me podcast, where me means you, or more precisely, us. This is the show where your host, Valerian, without using any interrogation techniques, convinces coffee professionals to reveal their secrets to teach and inspire you to make better coffee and earn a few bucks on the side, if that's what you fancy. Let the show begin. Hello, coffee friends. Welcome to Coffees.me podcast. I'm your host, Valerian Rala. Thank you for spending your valuable time with us and thank you for all your comments about the Clean Pendition's new packaging. I have to admit, I was a bit nervous when we started this process, but I was very happy that the professional community approved of this change. Well, when it comes to our customers, most of them love the change, they love the playfulness of the colors and even the little contest we have on the other side of the card, but we also got some negative feedback. I remember one email when a person said that this packaging is horrible and we should reinstate the old packaging immediately. I'm not kidding. The email was exactly in this tone and uh, I'm just putting it out there. What should you expect once you decide to change your packaging? But I know you are not here for the packaging. You are here to listen to the second part of the interview with the amazing Deborah Fordiger from Equator Coffees and Teas. In this episode, we are going to continue our journey of starting a cafe. We are going to talk about your baristas and how can you make them feel that they are part of your company. I remember, when I moved to the United States, I applied to Pete's Coffee and Tea as a store manager. I got into the interview and I failed on one question. What would I do to keep barista not leaving the company? My answer was pay them more and respect their passion but that was not what this company was looking for. Equator is different, Equator has it covered and Dora will tell you how. Next we are going to talk about soft opening which can help you test your concept, logistics, efficiency, quality control and even start to spread the word that your coffee is ready to wow the neighborhood. And also we have to talk a little bit about the money and what to expect when it comes to profitability. When should our cafes turn profitable? Deborah has answer for that too. Equator Coffee provides coffee for one of the top restaurants on the planet Earth, the French Laundry run by famous Chef Keller. I can't confirm or deny that this is one of the best restaurants on the planet because simply I never ate there, but I know everybody talks about them. I do plan to test it out for you guys, but for that one of my businesses have to start to make 7 figures a year. Until this happens, I still want to know how can you score a best restaurant in the United States for your coffee company. And I asked this Deborah and she will tell us the story of the founder Helen Russell. And just to keep you in the picture, uh, Equator Coffees has two founders. The other one is Brooke McDonald. And finally, super automatic machines. Shall you use them? Oh, wait, okay. Whoa, 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 whoa. Slow down, slow down, slow down. I know what you think. I know what you think. But you want to listen to this. I think Deborah has a great perspective on this and it's very interesting and perhaps you'll even like it. I know, I do. So after this inty pinty tiny ad, we're going to start the show. Enjoy. This podcast was supported by coffeecourses.com, the online learning hub for coffee professionals. Our videos will train you on how to roast, evaluate and brew coffee. We'll take you to the origin, show you basic professional espresso techniques, and even how to start your online coffee store. 
from basic theory to advanced concepts, CoffeeCourses.com is a goldmine for every coffee professional. Check out our blog and free courses too. We can't wait to see you on CoffeeCourses.com. Don't let us wait too long. So you, you said that you're hiring these like pretty cool baristas. You train them. They stay with you. You want them to stay with you for a long time. Yep. What is the option to grow? What, what, what are the possibilities to grow in your company? Yeah, I really believe in hiring from within for almost everything. Like, I really admire companies that start people in entry-level positions. Mm -hmm. um, so we really, we really try to do that. You can't always do that, right? Sometimes you have to make outside hires. But we like to make it very clear that as far as baristas want to go, we want to take them. So, like... In our cafes, we kind of have two different types of leadership positions, right? We have shift leads who really um, sometimes do some ordering. Mostly they're just like running a shift, making sure that people are taking breaks when they need to. They are counting in registers, counting out registers, um, making change for people. They're able to handle any customer service situations that come up, right? We teach them more about customer service, they can do voids and comps and that type of thing, right? Um, and they're basically, they're the floor manager, right? So we really try to grow people in that way, hopefully into assistant managers, managers of cafes, right? It's kind of that track. Um, we also have lead baristas who do a lot of kind of the on the floor training. So we have a dedicated retail trainer. She works just with our, you know, three stores, soon to be five. But she does a lot of work with our lead baristas because she can train people. She does a lot of one-on-one -on -one training, a lot of off-the-floor training. But then once you kind of get people to that, okay, I can make drinks by myself, but I'm a little nervous and maybe they're not perfect yet. Um, you need a lot of that, we call it buddy bar time, right? Where they are on bar, they are working drinks, they are making drinks for people. But there's got to be somebody there kind of helping them, watching them, coaching in the moment. So we do our, we have our lead barista do a lot of that, right? They are teaching them uh, tips about dialing in, tasting shots with them, uh, making sure they don't get frustrated or overwhelmed, maybe working on new latte art designs. It's really fun, right? And um, yeah, so that's our, that's our lead barista. Hopefully they want to become trainers. Sometimes they want to become roasters. Sometimes they want to go to like account management, that type of thing. Um, so there is a way to grow. Absolutely. And I think that's really important. I think it's super important. Um, otherwise, why stay with a company, right? That's what people leave if they don't get enough educational opportunities. Um, and what's nice at Equator is we have this whole wholesale team as well. So like we, um, you know, we post jobs first, kind of on our internal forum. And we'll post them externally as well but when we need a new account manager or we're hiring for a roaster right now um we always post internally first and whether or not somebody gets that job or is qualified for it um it's important to see who applies i think that's other advice i'd give to people too that's something like once you're in a company apply for interesting jobs even if you're not qualified for them yet mm -hmm. right you have no roasting experience or no training experience, but one of those jobs opens up, just apply. Just get that interview and talk to your manager and say, hey, I know I'm not ready for this. 
it's something I want to learn. How do I, how do I get to be ready for this next time this job opens up? Yeah, that's, that makes that's key. Sense. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. like a, when I was searching for jobs, like, I don't know, five years ago, that tip I got all the time that, you know, apply all the time and try to get an interview. So you know what they want, right? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Okay, so now we have the staff, which is, uh-huh. we have amazing baristas. And we're going to ask about the training a bit later because there's a question from the, uh, from our like uh, Facebook group members, but that's mm-hmm. for later. So how do you attract the first customers when you open your doors? How do you let yeah. them know that, hey, I'm here? We're here. So um, that, that can be really tricky, right? So one thing that we do is we'll do like two days of soft opening at least. What does it mean, um, soft opening? Yeah. So depending on um, if the cafe has food or not, we'll kind of dictate how that looks. Um, the last two cafes we've done have food. Um, but basically we would run two days with two separate services because you want your staff ready for business. And when you actually open your cafe, you want to feel like you've been open for weeks. Right. So what we do is, is we'll schedule out two services that kind of replicate an open to close situation. Right. So say we're going to open for breakfast We'll get everybody there an hour before we open so they can do a run through of here's how we open the cafe. Here's how we prep. You're dialing an espresso. You're counting out the cash box. You're, you know, prepping ingredients if you do breakfast. Um, And then we opened for invite only service and we get those invites from people in the neighborhood. So we'll go around and maybe it'll be like me and the store manager or maybe just the new store manager. Maybe it's a little team and go around to every business in the area, anything you can walk to, a couple blocks, right? And say, we're doing this soft opening. We want to give you free breakfast. We want to give you free coffee. Come check us out. All we want is just a little feedback on how our staff does, right? Mm -hmm. So we get this list of people who are coming and we'll try to do this four times, right? So say we'll do a breakfast and lunch two days in a row so that the staff can see what it feels like to be open and to open the store and to clean it up and close it down and then have another crew come in and open it back up again for lunch. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so everybody in the area, right. Get everybody in the area to come in for these soft openings and say, we want, um, we just want some feedback. And then we reach out on social media too, right? Like we will tweet it and Instagram and Facebook. Hey, we're doing soft openings. RSVP to this email. Right. Get on the list. People like that. Get on the list. Right. Well, we want to buy you a free coffee. Um, so then we we sign people up and we get them to come in. Right. And we tell them there's a limited amount of spots because there is. We can't have, you know, 200 people coming in in one hour um, and give it away. Right. Give it away. Get them to try it. Um, and then on the first day of service, um, especially if it's a brand new spot, we'll often do free coffee drinks. Right. Come in for a free coffee drink because that takes a lot of the pressure off of like, hey, the coffee's more expensive here than down the street. Or I don't know if I really want to try this mocha because I love it at my regular spot. Right. No, come in and try it for free. And that's because we're confident that it's going to be better than than what they're drinking. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and you just got to get it in their hands. But I think. um I think you've got a budget for that. And even if you don't do a full 
soft opening, like complimentary coffee the first day you're open, is great. Um, and then also it's like reaching out to those local businesses in a really pointed way. Like we do like little free drink cards that are like, hey, bring this in. It gets you whatever you want. And so we will bring that to all the businesses that are close, make sure that the managers are drinking there. Sometimes we'll give a stack to the managers if it's a bigger, you know, restaurant or, mm-hmm. or hotels are great, right? Give it to the concierge at a hotel um, and say, hey, give this to your staff or give it to your VIP customers, like get them in. Because if you, you know, if if somebody at the boutique is like drinking an Equator coffee, right? Everyone who's going in shopping there. Is going to see that cup sitting right there. We we want to make regulars of the people who work in the neighborhood. Sounds awesome. That's good free advertising, yeah. yeah. Yeah, of course. And then people who live there, too. That's why we like to do just free coffee on the first day, because you want people to come try it. So when you have that... Risk. Sorry. Go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. So if no. you have that uh, opening um, mm-hmm. for public, the free coffee, do you advertise yeah. it on social media only, or do you have some sure. kind of like uh, ads in the newspapers? Uh, not so much newspapers, I guess, like, um, local blogs, right? May, I don't, I'm trying to think if we've ever done any print advertisement. I guess there is a Marin, right? The Marin Independent Journal. I think we've done stuff there announcing that we open. Um, but definitely keeping it small and local, like kind of the... Edible. You have... Uh, oh, ed- we do. Yeah, you do. Edible. Yeah, I yeah. love the edible communities. So that is a great magazine, really super like-minded. It's all local food. Um... And we do Edible Marin. We haven't done Edible SF yet, um, but we do Edible Marin because we're we're based up here. But um, again, and then like food bloggers who do like local food stuff, like we'll invite them in, you know, come try a coffee or send off new coffees. Um, but very targeted, you know, it wouldn't make any sense for us to take out an ad in the big newspaper or something, right? Like we'll reach out to schools, right? Stuff like that. And we also donate a lot of coffee. Like, we have a pretty high budget for donating coffee in the area once we're open. So schools who ask for it for morning pickup, right, back to school is great for us. We donate a lot of coffee to get the parents trying trying it, right? Mm-hmm. Any type of fundraiser or auction that wants coffee to, you know, raffle off or people to bid on, we, we'll donate something. Or we want to be there brewing coffee so we can talk about it. I mean, it's all about these super localized communities, right? People, mm-hmm. people care that we give coffee to schools and nonprofits in our area, and and that's important to us. Like, it's it's part of who we are. It's it's good advertising, sure, and it's just part of who we are because we want to support our communities because that's who supports us. Yeah, always great having fun with coffee, you know. So I have a lot of people coming over to my house and we just have fun with coffee and they're always like what do you sell us i don't sell anything i'm just having fun with coffee right. and, it's, and it's like like okay but you know you are you're my neighbor you have to know that i do coffee you know so it's yeah oh my gosh i know you should you should be doing it at, at the school you could have your own like coffee coffee csa just bring it when you drop off the kids actually and... we, we we i used to do it uh when we had a gardening cleanup i was the coffee brewer oh yeah so, you know, when yes. the guys were working in a garden, I was the guy who was mm-hmm. uh, making them coffee. So it's, it's fun. It's great. You know, and the only problem is that I have no other topic than coffee. So after a while, I'm boring. No, you're <laughs> not because everybody loves coffee. Are you kidding? I have no other topic but coffee. And I make friends everywhere I go. Like I love flying because you meet some new friend. 
because people ask you what you do and you say, I work in coffee. And every single person That's says, true. I love coffee. You're not the boring guy. You're the guy who can connect with everybody because everybody feels that connection to coffee. The first, for the first 30 minutes. After that, they're like, mm. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. No, I'm, you you know, I'm just fishing. Obviously, I'm just break. fishing here. So. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right. Perfect. So we have... Uh, advertised we had this nice soft opening i love the idea of soft opening i never heard of that by the way uh i'm such a noob in this i've never opened a cafe you know i just did it once and that was a big mistake so uh, <laughs> now I, you know but it's a great idea i really love that idea it's just totally makes sense right so uh mm-hmm. that's cool uh, okay. plus your baristas are gonna mess up they're nervous they're nervous they're gonna mess up that first day so it makes the stakes better for them too Mm-hmm. And it makes it easier on the customers where it's like, let me know if that wasn't perfect. And they're getting it for free, so they can't complain that much. <laughs> and we're like, thanks for letting us try it. I'm sorry your latte was too hot or your mocha too sweet or whatever it was, right? Like, you know. Okay. Thanks for giving us a try. My baristas need to practice. Yeah, that's, that sounds great. I, I need that. Maybe I will uh, apply for your uh, days and practice as a barista. Perfect. Yeah. <laughs> you love it. You never saw my barista skills. You'll be scared. <laughs> uh oh. I'll train you up. Don't worry. I hope so. Okay. Um, so we have a location we opened. Uh, we advertised. Is there. Okay. So here is. I forgot one question. Is there any mm-hmm. opening you ever saw and it went so bad that you would say, hey guys, be careful because so many people try to do this and it's just wrong? I don't know, because sometimes the things that I think are horrible work. You know, like there's people who are like really mean on Yelp to people who give them bad reviews. But like that works, right? Then they become this guy who's like really mean on Yelp and you got to check it out because this guy's really mean on Yelp, which is, you know, I just think is the worst thing. Um, Or, you know, being really snobby to your customers and telling them what they can drink or not. Like sometimes that works. I mean, I think there's definitely there's a lot of cafes that don't work. Sure, there's a lot of cafes that go out of business, but I think a lot of that has to do with overextending, um, and not having enough capital for that first year, where maybe you're not going to make money, right? Like you can't expect to open the door and be an overnight success. I think some cafes do this, and it's easy to look at them and be like, "That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to open and be a success." But, like, the reality is what you can hope for is for each week to be slightly higher sales than the last, Mm -hmm. right? And you're probably going to open with more staff than is necessary for your sales. So you'll be running, you know, maybe hopefully not at a loss, but you might be running at a loss for the first few months, right? Maybe six months, depending on your location. And I think a lot of businesses don't last because they don't budget for that. Okay. They think I'm going to hire these great people and, and my customers are going to line up out the door for them. Um, but there's some fixed costs in the cafe, right? Your rent is never going to be lower than it is. Your people are not going to be lower than they are. You need people in the cafe to staff it, whether you are doing a $3,000 day or a $1,000 day, right? You need a certain amount of baristas there to have the door open. And I think that's, that's the mistake I see most often is not having money in the bank to weather that opening because you spend a ton on equipment. You spend a ton on build out. You spend a ton on training 
And you better have money in the bank for that first six months while you're building your sales and building your regulars and getting into your routine. Okay, that, that's a good tip. Uh, did you ever have issue like that in the equators? Or how, how soon do they, your um, cafes turn profitable? Um, well, we've been really lucky with our Marin cafes, right? Proof Lab was successful right away. That's our little surf shop one. Um, but we opened with very low expectations. I mean, that serves just coffee. Um, we have a very small staff. It's a very simple menu. Um, and, you know, we opened thinking like, okay, let's figure out what our retail program looks like. This is going to be a very slow, very sweet cafe. Um, it's really just going to serve this immediate community. Um, you know, and by a few months in, we were meeting goals that we'd set to be hitting by the first year. Right. So that was really lucky. Nice. Um, And then for our second cafe, um, you know, we started, we took over an existing lease of a coffee shop. So we knew that, like I said, this corner in Mill Valley had been a cafe for 20 years. So we expected it to be busy. Um, and one thing we kept hearing from the community is like, you know, how long are you going to be shut down for? Don't shut down the coffee shop. Where are we going to get coffee, right? So it was a real concern for us taking over this lease. Um, so we put a little cart outside, right? Because we know like, okay, planning takes longer than you think. Construction takes longer than you think. Mm -hmm. We'll put a little cart outside. We want people to be able to get coffee. It was just a, you know, a little brewer and an espresso machine and we were lugging in water, right? It was a mobile coffee cart and we were only open in the morning, right? Six to one so that people could get their morning coffee. Mm -hmm. And um, the community really appreciated it. And it, it made us not lose that audience that was already there for the cafe. Okay. Right. So we could weather like that cafe took over a year to get open permitting and construction and everything took a long time, but we had this cart out front. So the community was happy. We were happy. Um, And by the time we opened our doors, people were like so excited for us. So that's kind of a unique situation too. Um, our downtown cafe, you know, we're opening in a very transitional neighborhood where businesses are just starting to go in. Um, offices are just opening and it's been much slower than we anticipated. Okay. Um, but again, it's having that plan and being able to kind of weather that. Like each month is busier than the next. We are attracting more people. Um, but part of that is just waiting for um, the neighborhood to get more dense. Like that's a long haul cafe there, that Market Street Cafe. But we knew that going in. So we're able to kind of weather that storm. And we're tailoring some things to better fit people who are already there mm -hmm. and listening to what they want. Um But we are definitely feeling it. I mean, I think if if this was, you know, somebody's first cafe, if it was our first cafe, I think it would be harder for us to um, deal with the fact that it's it's slow. It's a it's a slow cafe. But the people who come in really appreciate it. So that's that's what matters. And they're coming in and coming back. And each week is better than the last. So that's that's what you can hope for. That's all you can hope for. Cool, thanks. I mean, I plan to check it out sometime soon. I actually had it in plan uh, two weeks ago, but it was raining, so I, I kind of bailed on that. I uh, you know, but you should come. It's really great. It feels very different, um, and it's 
it's a um it's a work week cafe it's the opposite of all our other ones like we started you know we were open every day and then we just we cut the weekends because okay. no people aren't around on the weekends so now yeah. we're really we're open seven to five monday through friday that's it right now oh so you're not weekend you're not open on we weekend. are not open on the weekends oh. at all oh i would be so disappointed because i have this amazing uh route i like to take a ferry to san francisco and there's this amazing route where you can hit a lot of different brands lots of different cafes which are kind of like uh-huh. you know, in our mindset i would say and mm-hmm. uh you you are on that path i was like yay but you usually do it on weekends Oh, man. Yeah. Well, we will probably, hopefully, knock on wood, um, start staying open on the weekends um, this spring and summer. Okay. But that's a way. That's certainly a way we've had to react to the market. Like, we thought we'd be a a seven-day-a-week cafe there, and the weekends would be just slow. But the weekends were totally dead. Okay. And it, it sucks to not be open for someone like you who wants to come by. Yeah, exactly. But we had to look at the numbers, right? Sometimes you have to be realistic, right? We had to look at the numbers and be like, nope, this doesn't justify it. We're cutting the weekends. So you're not opening to uh, podcast celebrities, right? Especially. I'll go for you. I'll meet you there. (laughs) I'm kidding. I'm not a podcast celebrity. You know, actually, if you want to come, these next two Saturdays are going to be open because it's Super Bowl City. Okay. I don't know. You don't want to mess with that. No, I'm scared of Super Bowl. Super Bowl City. They're like shutting down markets. It's going to be crazy. I have two questions about, which are not related to cafe, but they are related oh. more to your wholesales. Yeah. Because one of the things which I experience is that they don't serve the coffee according to your uh, standards. Le- standards. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. standards. So how, how does the roaster deal with that? That's really tough. It's really, really tough. We always try to meet people where they are and set them up for success. So some of the ways we do that is, um, like I said, auto-volumetric machines really help. Mm-hmm. Putting in the smallest brewer that we can so that, um, you know, we see this, uh, the holding the coffee is often an issue. Like, oh, it's still hot three hours later. Why can't I serve it? Like, oh, let's, let's taste it three hours after brewing. Um so putting in smaller brewers, right? Giving them a recipe that maybe only brews two liters at once instead of five, okay. right? Um, so they have to, they have to rebrew, right? These subtle things to like um, get them focused on freshness, right? Um, we set accounts up on weekly ordering so that the coffee isn't sitting too long and have a really small minimum for accounts so that we're shipping it out every week and we have a great front of house staff that like, if a place doesn't order for two weeks, they get flagged and it's like, okay, we got to go there. We got to see what's going on. They're sitting on coffee. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, so part of it is, is setting them up for success, really being realistic about the type of coffee service they're going to do and training, training, training okay. and account management. I mean, we have a great wholesale team and we're, trying to get to every account that serves our coffee every month. Um, So they've got routes that they run and maybe it's stopping in and um, chatting with a manager, seeing if they need to set up training Um, and food service accounts. Sometimes it's literally going in and cleaning all the equipment, right? Taking, you know, a whole morning in a hotel and we will literally go in and 
clean all the AirPods if they're not clean. So you guys, and you clean it for them. We shouldn't have to. Okay. And I can assure you we've got documents up, pasted right on the brewer of how to clean it, how often to clean it. But if we go in and something is dirty, we're going to clean it. Okay. And I don't care if it's like the trainer or the salesperson or, you know, Helen Russell. If she sees something, she sees a dirty urn, she's going to clean it. Wow. And, um, and that's, that's the reality of, of a lot of wholesale accounts. Mm-hmm. And, and it's hard. I mean, coffee is a low priority in our culture. It's something that is expected to be okay. Um, it's not expected to be a great, wonderful experience, which I think is why those great, wonderful experiences stand out. But a lot of the accounts we deal with, I mean, they're restaurants, they're hotels, they are bakeries, they have so many other things that they're focused on that coffee is just kind of there and it's got to be good. It's going to be okay, but they aren't prioritizing having the best coffee in their neighborhood, which, which is okay for a lot of businesses, right? They've got the best croissant in the neighborhood. They, their focus is getting people in for that. And then like coffee's their add on, right? It's the opposite to our business model. Um, so part of it is giving them tricks to help them succeed. We have training documents. I mean, we literally post recipes on the brewers. Mm -hmm. We post cleaning documents up on the brewers, right? We've got our text phone number on the brewer, on the espresso machine, call us if anything goes wrong. Um, and then it's just, it's checking in and looking at it, seeing, seeing it for ourselves. Have you ever had to drop an account because you just could not manage how much they, you know, not really destroyed your coffee, but basically they did yeah. a bad job with it? Yeah, rarely we have, but oh, rarely. You did? Yeah, I think so. But maybe like once or twice in 20 years. I mean, it's really, it's not the norm for us. It's really not. We try to meet people where they are. Um and understand that not everywhere is going to have the best coffee. I mean, that's why we went into retail in a lot of ways, because you can do a lot of training, you can set people up for success, but ultimately if you're only wholesale, then the vision of your coffee that's out there is somebody else's vision. Mm-hmm. That's true. And so we wanted to open a retail store so that we can really say, this is, this is who we are. This is what our coffee should look and taste like. And this is the feeling you should have while drinking our coffee. Yeah, this is the biggest failure we do with Green Plantation. And yeah. I cannot convince Peter, my uh, Slovak partner, to finally start uh, our own cafe. You guys I have think to that, do your own cafe. Yeah, because, you know, a lot of people can complain that, let's say, oh, your, cafe, uh, your coffee is sour on our espresso. But if I'm sure that if Peter makes them that coffee, or our baristas make exactly. that coffee, you know, for them, they will see that, oh, there is a way to fix this, you know, there is a way how yes. to play with this. It's basically like a showroom for a car, right? It's basically a place yes. where they can, I can see the potential of the coffee, they can see what you do, you can talk to them about yourself, about your brand, and mm-hmm. uh, I don't know, it just, I'm, I'm, this was, I, I was pushing for it in 2015 very hard, I'm going to try in 2016, but to be in California and have a company in Slovakia is uh, it's very strange. <laughs> So. Well, let's go. We'll go out there for a month. I'll be. Oh, that'd be great. I would. I would love that. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, we we actually did promote your coffee in Slovakia. 
we try to bring it oh, in. Yeah? yeah, yeah, we try to bring Did it you? in. We that had roasted a, here, shifted over. Uh, yeah, but the problem is that there is uh, EU is a bit paranoid, like also United States, you know, about different permits and hygiene permits. And if we want to do, because we don't want to really sell your coffee, guys, we want to kind of like just show off that oh, we have friends like this, right? So, mm -hmm. so, so ship like you know small quantities and getting all those permits was like not really worth it. So you know. Oh. But I did a cupping. I took some Bay Area uh, brands, and one of was your coffee, and uh, that was fun. People liked it. I know. I remember talking to you about that. I think that's great. Yeah, that's cool. I mean, we did the same when you brought us back coffee. It was so exciting to... Did you like it? To try. Of course we liked it. Okay. Is it just something polite or is it the truth? <laughs> we liked it. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Don't stare at me like okay, that. Okay. So, so we're, going to, we're going to send you uh, our new coffees in a new packaging uh -huh. we have. Yes. And, and some chocolate bars. And chocolate bars. Okay. Slovak chocolate bars. Deal. Mm -hmm. All right. I love it. We'll what is it that. called? What's the one I like? Uh, the crispy one that's mocha flavored. Oh, Kofila. Yeah. And now all the Slovaks are like, oh, Kofila. Kofila. That's, that's what I love. So how about Jeff Keller and his Ooh, yes. French laundry? Everybody wants to score a count like that. How did you do that? I know. That is truly... Um, Helen Russell manifesting success and uh, really a story about relationships, right? Mm -hmm. So, <clears throat> I mean, this is way before my time, but I love hearing this story from Helen. This was like 2001, right? So the company, I mean, I don't even know what size the company was then, right? But more than 10 years ago, it's still Helen, Brooke, and Maureen. Right. And a couple roasters and Helen is doing all of the sales. Right. Brooke is heading up the roasting team. And, um, you know, they had really focused for the first part of of Equator's career on owner operator cafes. Right. Prior to opening a roastery, Helen and Brooke had had run two little coffee carts. Mm -hmm. Right. So that's what they knew. They knew owner-operator cafes, and that's really where they focused because that's where they felt like the coffee would get the most attention, right? I mean, you ask about dropping accounts and, you know, kind of these horror stories that all wholesale roasters have about going in and the AirPods are dirty and blah, 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 right? That comes mostly from, like, food service and restaurants and stuff like that, right? Restaurants are notorious for not prioritizing Oh, coffee. yeah. Even a very good restaurant, yeah. Even at very good restaurants. So, I mean, literally Helen and Brooke were talking about like, okay, if we're going to get into restaurants, right, we need to get into the best restaurants. We need to get into the French Laundry. If we could just have a restaurant like the French Laundry, um, that, that would be a standard that we could hold other restaurants to and they'd be comfortable going into restaurants, right? So... They had this conversation and Laura Cunningham from the French Laundry called Helen, called them like the day after having this conversation wow. because Thomas Keller had tried our coffee at um, Gordon's in Yonville. So he tried it, really enjoyed it. French Laundry was French pressing at the time, um, but he was interested in switching to a batch brewer and... Um, I mean, Helen got the call from Laura Cunningham at the French Laundry. Like, we want to come. Come do a tasting with Chef Keller. I mean, wow. 
I still get goosebumps when Helen tells the story and I, I wasn't there like, you know, but, <laughs> but it, they called her. And so they went up and did a tasting and, and, um, you know, Brooke brought some really amazing coffees and they talked about how to do coffee, um, the best in, in a restaurant. And, you know, he's so on top of every detail that he asked for, I want the smallest brewer we can get. What is the smallest um, filter brewer so that we are changing it, right? We're brewing fresh, we are brewing often, um, and put in just a little like, you know, brewing two liters at a time. And um, so it's always fresh. We have a lot of urns, it's always, you know, that are always clean. Oh my gosh, talk about a restaurant. You can eat off the floor up there. I've done a couple trainings up there. You won't find a, you will not find a, any old coffee or or a stain anywhere or a, you know, a speck on the inside of a brewer. It's, it's, in, it's incredible working up there. Um, the attention to detail for everything is just so beautiful. Uh, but anyway, so they put in a brewer and worked on a blend, you know, and that was, yeah, 13, 14 years ago. I mean, yeah, 15 years ago, 2001, I guess summer 2001. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's been a great relationship ever since. I mean, Brooke, um, works on the blends with Chef Keller. Probably every two years or so, they sit down for a real formal tasting. I mean, he's drinking the coffee at all his properties. We do all the properties now, right? We have a couple specific blends for French Laundry and Per Se, and then the Bouchon and the Bouchon blends, um, and a Thomas Keller Espresso. So he's drinking it all the time, and if something changes or he doesn't like something or it's different, um, um, something's tasting off at a property, like we definitely get a call from one of the managers, right? Nice. Um, but every couple of years they sit down, they do a formal tasting, they look forward, talk about the espresso blend. Um, yeah, that was like my, you know, first couple months at Equator was one of those. And I went up and got to like make an espresso and a macchiato with two different espresso iterations for Chef Keller. That was, that was nerve wracking. Tell you I was shaking serving that cup. Um, but espresso, espresso took a long time for us to get. We were just the coffee for a long time because because of relationships and how loyal um, Chef Keller is. I mean, they had they had Illy espresso okay. in the French Laundry for a long time because he personally knew Ernesto Illy. Illy was doc, Dr. Illy was really great about um, promoting Illy and promoting you know Illy espresso to young chefs, right, and all the great restaurants in America served Illy coffee. So really it wasn't until he passed away that that we would even think about serving serving espresso at the French Laundry. You know, it was just the coffee, um, just coffee for years. Interesting uh, that you said because uh, we just scored a restaurant, uh, mm -hmm. Fuzu, and we like to put our coffee together with high brands in the food industry yeah because we kind of but uh it's exactly the situation that we are with them with the coffee but they don't serve our espresso yet but i hope it right. will change soon or later but hope hopefully sooner and they just won the best restaurant in slovakia and for us it was like awesome. whoa you know it's it's amazing they name it yeah. fuzu so it's it's also like very innovative kitchen and we like that because we are innovative cafe i mean sorry coffee because most of the coffees are kind of Italian, you know, style in, in, in Slovakia. So we're like, oh, yeah, this is definitely our, you know, like crowd. 
but I did not know that you guys did not serve his espresso. So you actually like he had Illy brand as espresso and you mm-hmm. as a coffee. And us as the coffee. Uh, that's a good but store I, then. It is. Mm-hmm. Well, and that type of that's the type of loyalty you want. Exactly. Okay. You know, I mean, because here we are and he's still serving our coffee and we expect them to continue serving our coffee. I mean, that type of brand loyalty. Um, I mean, that's just the type of people you want to work with, right? You don't want somebody who's going to hop on some new shiny brand, right? Mm-hmm. It's like, no, this is a relationship that we we have had for over a decade and it's really strong and and it's, I mean, yeah, hearing Brooke and Chef Keller talk about coffee and flavor profiles and coffee is one of the best experiences I've ever had. <laughs> you know, it's, it's just amazing. Cool. All right. I'm glad that you told this story because uh, it's, it's fun. I never heard this story, by the way. So, ah, you got to get Helen to tell it. She tells it better. That's a Helen story. You know, I wasn't there. Yeah, when I, I meet her next time, I'll ask about it. But we don't meet spirits. that often, you know. I meet more <laughs> often with you. So, yeah. But in some restaurants, they like to use super automatic machines. And mm-hmm. we have actually one account. We, we always avoided any place where they use super automatic machines. Mm-hmm. But there is one place, it's a bistro. So you go there, you get sandwiches, very nice ones, uh, some, you know, like basic bakery products. And it's a pretty cool place. But they said, we don't want to invest in, in a reg- normal espresso maker because we don't want to train baristas. Our right. coffee is just to go very fast. And we're like, hmm, okay, let's try this out. So what's your opinion about that? What's your opinion about super automatic machines in a service industry? I think sometimes it is really appropriate. Okay. And for exactly the reason why this account wanted it from you in that they don't um, they don't have the time or the drive to train baristas up. Right. So if you can get consistency from a super automatic versus untrained baristas, I mean, go for the super automatic. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's an area where the technology has finally caught up to what people want. Right. I mean, 10 years ago, great cafes were throwing out their batch brewers and serving bulk French press because the batch brewers weren't performing as well as French press or pour over. Mm -hmm. Right. So equipment manufacturers listened to that, gave us more programmability, on a word, gave us more programmability on batch brewers. Right. And more control. And now we can get, you know, coffee off of a batch brew that you can put up against, you know, somebody who's very well trained at pour over or something like that. Right. Um, The technology's cut up. And I think the same is for super autos, right? Super autos are not for gas stations and fast food restaurants anymore. Um, So we actually place a lot of the bun sure tamp machines. And speaking of chef Keller, we're transitioning the Bouchon bakeries over to the bun sure tamp. Because that's a place where customer service is the focus, baked goods are the focus, and they do a lot of coffee service. But the training with that super automatic is very general about the specs and it's very programmable. And we like this machine because you as the person who's installing it can set um, parameters that it's allowed to serve. Right. We get an alarm. We can say like we always want it to pull, um, say, like a 19 gram shot. You can go 19 and a half. Right. Get a 19 gram shot. And if it pulls outside 
of say 27 to 32 seconds for our ounce and a half, the barista gets an error message. It will not let them extract outside of that five second parameter. They have to adjust the grind. Mm, okay. So they are able to, again, we got more programmability in our espresso machine, but they don't have to worry about their dose, their tamp, or turning off their shot. They're adjusting their grind to hit the specs, but we have programmed in the specs. Okay. Because coffee does change, right? It's going to be a day older. It's going to keep off gassing. You're mm-hmm. going to have to adjust the grind. Like pretending you don't have to do that just doesn't make sense, right? They're going to have to adjust the grind daily. But we are able to, as the roaster, put that fail safe in that you're not going to wildly over or under extract because of this machine is not going to let you. How do you compare, because I never had a drink from uh, this mm-hmm. machine, how do you compare this uh, espresso to, let's say, if you do it nicely on Ella Marzocco? Depends on who's doing it. Me doing it or somebody who's never trained? Uh, I'm not thinking you doing <laughs> it. Like, yeah. I don't know. I, I would put myself up against it. I wouldn't put um, a new barista up against it. Okay. I mean, I really think it's, it's about the freedom of only having to train the milk. Right. Because when you're training, right, it seems like you can get espresso quicker. Right. It's a it's a slower, lower learning curve. Right. You can get something servable kind of quickly. Mm -hmm. But to get really great espresso takes a long, long time. Yeah. And to really finesse dialing in takes a long, long time. Whereas milk seems hard to master, but really like, sure, it's struggle at first. But once you get it, milk is easy it's the same anywhere so like by taking out really the bulk of the espresso training right we train on milk which is hard ish for people to get but once they get it like the quality of drinks that they're serving off of these super autos versus like minimal training versus even a medium amount of training I think is better and I think if if coffee is not the main focus of a cafe that it's really appropriate. I mean, I really enjoy the coffee off of it. I'll drink a straight espresso off of it. I think the a latte off of it is delicious. Um, and I think there's a lot of places where it's appropriate. And it's, it's, again, knowing what your brand stands for, knowing what your market is. And I think for a place like Bouchon Bakery, where the focus is on having these amazing pastries and the amount of product that their front of house service uh, people know how to talk about that their baristas know how to talk about um, and the attention to detail that goes into their customer service training. I think it's super appropriate because they are able to have consistency in their coffee cool. without that being the main focus. Cause it's not their main focus. Wow. Okay. That's yeah. something to think about. I'm curious uh, to try it. You got to try it, try it. That sure tamp is awesome. Again, it's like technology finally catching up to, to what we've wanted in a super auto. Okay, we, but we have to say that, you know, that that's actually something which I wanted to really do uh, last year, I didn't mention maybe this year, to to get myself an automatic espresso maker, what people use at home, mm. and play, because I'm a, I'm, I like to roast, I'm, I'm mostly a roaster, yeah. and play with the roast profiles for those automatic espresso makers, because I know that people in Slovakia, they buy that, that's in their right. houses, that's how they prepare their like, morning coffee, you know, and I was like, our coffee... We can. I'm sure that we can develop blend, which will make them happy. You know, it's it's a nice coffee. It's special to great coffee. It will develop nice profiles for them, and they can prepare it on the on the uh, automatic machine. So that's one of my thing that maybe this year I'll, I'll buy myself one and just play with it. You know, 
see. I think it's smart. It's meeting people where they are. Exactly. I mean, you're not going to tell everyone to like, yeah, to make good coffee at home, you have to have a linea home and a yeah. Mazer grinder. <laughs> I mean, right? That's just not realistic. It's, I mean, yeah. sure, that's going to work for some people. But um, but like you say, if you you want to tailor to that equipment, I think that's smart. Cool. Yeah. Super uh, smart. I mean, it's, it's also something challenge for myself, you know. So it's like, can you can you do it? Because obviously, it's not the same like your bun. It's just those plastic, yeah. you know. Totally. You know. Tiny dose. It's going to be a tiny dose. Mm-hmm. Water is going to be grams. a little cool. Yep. And the pressure is going to be a little low. Mm-hmm. And how do you make it taste good? Okay, work on that. We'll also work on uh, making a good K cup. How about that? Cake. K cup. Okay. Oh no, 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 no. I, I'm not cup. going there. That's uh, oh, that's that's okay. out of my comfort zone. Okay. Okay. That's, that's, I'll work on that one. Yeah, go ahead. I mean, that, that's fine. <laughs> it's it's out of my comfort zone now. Maybe maybe with a different brand, not Green Plantation. That would be kind of like, no. you know. That's it for today. I hope you enjoy listening to the show. I learned a truckload of amazing information. In the next episode, I'm going to ask questions you ask Devora via our Facebook group, Coffee Is Me. If you want to ask questions from our next guest, you can do so soon. And he's going to be a big one. I would say he's something like the Hugh Grant of the coffee industry. Want to know who is it? There is two ways to find out. First, join Coffee Is Me Facebook group and possibly ask him a question or wait two more episodes and I will reveal his name. Choice is yours. Until then, enjoy your coffee. Bye.